0: Well, here I am again in my study, and uh, a week has gone by since we did our first podcast videotaping uh, from my office here at home. We were gonna do it yesterday, but uh, we had a crew of uh, tree cutters show up. We've had oak trees been diseased in this area of Texas, and a bunch of neighbors got together. And anyway, they showed up at my house yesterday, and I thought as soon as they're done, I'm going to record this uh, video. Well, I only had four oak trees. It took all day. They didn't finish. It was like uh, I thought they were cutting down the uh, Amazon rainforest. Uh, but it's quiet today. I'm hoping they don't come back and strip mine the backyard. That's that's my hope. So we're going to get back into this study on fighting off fear because these are days like we have never seen before. Um, why are we studying this thing, this, this mini-series? Why are we doing it called Fighting Off Fear? Because there's a lot to fear. So i got a word for you. Uh, this word, you hear it now and then, but here's the word. Xenophobia or xenophobia. Apparently there are two groups, there are two g- camps on this word in regard to the proper pronunciation xenophobia or xenophobia x-e-n-o and then phobia Uh, the pronunciation really isn't that important what is important is what it means this word xenophobia is derived from the greek word xenos meaning foreigner or stranger and phobos which means morbid fear So xenophobia is the irrational sensation of fear experienced about a person or a group of persons as well, here we go, as well as situations that are perceived as strange or foreign. That's what we're in right now. We've never been in anything like this before. We we walk around. I went to Walgreens yesterday to get a prescription. There's nobody on the road. This is strange. This is unusual. This is eerie. Yes, it is. Xenophobia is the fear of anything that is beyond one's comfort zone. Well, that describes where we are. And as we mentioned last week, we've got fears on three fronts with this coronavirus thing. We've got uh, health fears, and in a, just a few days ago, we were told that somewhere between 100,000 to 240,000 Americans could die. Uh, yeah, there's a good reason to be fearful. Then we've got social fears. I, uh, I saw today that now we're not supposed to go out in public without a mask. Well, I don't have a mask, but other people do have masks but we're wearing masks just as a precaution because we've got to keep our distance and you, you get it. You know what this is about. Then we've got economic fears. The reason we have economic fears is that in two weeks, over 10 million people applied for unemployment benefits. Now the question is, what is it gonna be next week? You, you cannot shut down a nation economically. You cannot shut down businesses for weeks and weeks on end without severe economic repercussions. You don't have to be a PhD in economics to know that. Uh, You just have to know basic math and basic commerce and how life works. So we've got multiple fears. Um, Last week we were in Psalm 46 and I just want to go back there, touch on it, and then I want to go to Matthew 6. In Psalm 46, 1, we read these verses. And and they're great verses. And they're true. Uh, Because we live in times of xenophobia. Uh, Why are we so fearful? Uh, I mean, you can reduce that down to saying it's the fear of the unknown. So we don't know what's going to happen to us in terms of our health. We don't know in terms of what social ramifications uh, there will continue to be. We don't know how long this is going to continue. Is it going to go through mid-April? Is it going to the end of April? Is it going to go through the summer? We don't know. It's the fear of the unknown. Uh, in terms of our finances, in terms of the economy, it's, it's unknown. Things are being done to help, and we're grateful for those things. But how long will this continue? Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength. Now I will stop right there and say this. Joel Rosenberg, who writes the the novels that are so good, he's a a, a Messianic Jew. He now lives in Israel. Joel Rosenberg, his uh, ministry in Israel, and I've got it somewhere on my desk and I just can't pull it out, but I can remember it. They did a survey of Americans, and this came out on his website, that 44% of Americans believe that this coronavirus is a wake-up call to turn Americans back to God. Now, that is an astonishing statistic. Uh, You can read the article yourself by going to his website. I think it's joelrosenberg.com. But even unbelievers have a sense that something is deeper. There's more to this than just the health, the social, uh, the economic fears. There there is something going on, and you can count on that, that God is up to something. Uh, God is sovereign. God oversees all things. God is in complete control. I, I don't mean to keep beating that drum, but that's a drum that has to be beaten. Because things are not out of control, they're under control. Do we always understand God's ways? Uh, No, we don't. Isaiah 55, 8, God says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, So can we understand everything God's up to with this? No. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. All we know is that He is sovereign, and that He's good, and that He has a purpose, and that He wants to bring people to Himself. We're so dependent. We're so secure. We think so highly of ourselves. Uh, The Scripture says, don't think more highly of yourself than, than you should. Most of us think too highly of ourselves. Millennials tend to think very highly of themselves because they've been told that they are very, very special. That's all they've ever heard. And I'm making generalizations here, but you know what I'm talking about. We need God. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. So in Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. Almighty God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. We nailed this last week, and we mentioned that in the margin, that can be translated, God is our refuge and strength. He is abundantly available for help in tight places. That's a verse you hold on to. And then you go to verse 10 of the same psalm, and he says, See striving and know that I am God. Or some translations say, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Relax. Let go. And know that I am God. Now, here's what's interesting. I didn't read verses 2 and 3. We're talking about this. We're talking about cataclysmic situations. God wants us to be still and to know that He is God. God is a refuge and strength. He is abundantly available for help in tight places. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Caltech University last week stated that there have been 1,100 earthquakes in California and Nevada in the last seven days. There was a 6.5 earthquake just a few days ago in Idaho that they felt all the way up to Calgary in Canada. Uh, I read some of the accounts. People were running out of their houses. It was, if you've ever been in an earthquake, you know it's unsettling. You're out of control. And one of the gentlemen was talking about his experience. He ran out of the house, he came back, he sat down. And as he sat down, And was trying to get his heart rate down he looked over at the water in the glass and it was still moving that's unsettling what do you do in that situation you have to remind yourself that my life is in his hands be still don't panic know that he is god this is the same idea that's in matthew chapter 6. in matthew chapter 6 jesus says something in verse 25 that is really remarkable. And here's what he says. In Matthew 6.25, Jesus says, and this has great application to us right now. Jesus says, for this reason I say unto you, don't worry about your life. So what are we doing right now? We're worrying about our lives. We're worrying about our health. We're worrying about our finances. We're worried about how long we can hang on. We're worried if we can make our bills, if we can. We're just worried. We're worried about retirement. In fact, we're hoping we make it to retirement. We're just worried. And, and in the midst of this, Jesus, who is God, says in 625, For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. So here's the response. I would say, so why should I not be worried about my life? Well, he anticipates that. And in the rest of Matthew 6, he gives me reasons why I should not be worried about my life. He, uh, He points out two things. I should not be worried about my life, number one, because of the providence of God the Father. Secondly, I should not be worried about my life because of the promises of God. Let me read some verses here. Jesus said in 625, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, for, or for your body for as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes, it is. Then he goes to the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor reap, nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? The further an individual or a nation or a culture gets from God, the more irrational they become. We live in a culture that says that animals are just as important as people that's not true. In fact, in this passage, Jesus reasons, if God takes care of the birds and takes care of their needs, are you not more important than they? A lot in our culture would say, no, we're equal. Birds are not made in the image of God. The animals are not made in the image of God. Only human beings are made in the image of God. Male and female, He created them. So, we're more valuable. If God will take care of the birds and say, here's what He's doing. He wants us to reason. He wants to use our minds when we're panicked. He wants me to think, wait a minute, if God takes care of these birds that I listen to when I'm drinking my coffee on the patio, will God not take care of me? I'm more important. And the answer is yes. He will do that by His providence. He'll do that by His provision. And then He goes on and says this, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? I, I, uh, I'm amazed at how many hours I've spent looking back over my life in absolute futility. And when I say absolute futility, worry is utterly futile. W- worry is an absolute waste of time. Worry think I mentioned this last week, what worry does when we get anxious about our lives, when we start thinking about what might happen next week or next month or three months down the road, when we start doing this, we're going into places we shouldn't be. Uh, Jesus never said, don't think about your life. He didn't say it was wrong to plan. He didn't say it was wrong to take uh, measured objectives and set measurable goals. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is wrong is when we go into the future and we worry about it, and we try to figure out how is God going to come through? How is God going to fix this? Uh, You don't know how God's going to do it. All you know is that God is God. And God is doing thousands upon thousands upon thousands of things in our lives that we know nothing about this is what providence is all about i want to read to you something concerning the providence of god this this is brilliant stuff so back in the 1500s martin luther started something called the reformation he was uh, a roman catholic priest who was trying to please god by all of his good works and he would pray Uh, until he couldn't pray anymore. He would fast until he couldn't go on. He would climb stairs on his knees doing penance for sins. He could not get peace with God. He was a New Testament scholar. And as he was studying Galatians and Romans, the Lord illuminated the Scriptures and he began to understand that we're saved not by our good works, we're saved by faith. And this was a radical idea. And in the providence of God, He began to uh, stand up. He began to publicly preach this. He put some declarations on the wall uh, in in their town and it caused shockwaves. And then he was persecuted and his friends kidnapped him to save his life. Uh, While he was in this castle, he translated the Bible into common everyday German. And just by chance, this guy Gutenberg had invented this thing called the printing press and Gutenberg got a hold of his translation of the Bible because up until then, people couldn't read the Bible. If, if you didn't read Latin, you couldn't read the Bible. But now everybody could read the Bible. And a Reformation took place and the Gospel exploded. And people were coming to Christ right and left and people were reading their Bibles and all kinds of great things were happening. It was a Reformation. It was a revival. What they did... They wanted to teach their kids. They wanted to teach new believers. They did these things called catechisms, and they were question-and-answer formats where they would ask questions, and then they would give the answers. And one of them was done in Heidelberg. You can look up the Heidelberg Catechism. It's great, and it's really good on the providence of God. So question 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Here's the question. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Here's the answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ, his Son, my God and my Father. In Him I trust so completely as to have no doubt, watch this, that He will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity He sends to me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful Father. And then they list 24 verses. And if you look up those verses and you can go online, and you can pick this up, you'll find the verses. But that is biblically true about God the Father and His providence. Next question. What, and see, the reason I'm giving this to you is that when you understand what the Scripture says about God, you don't have to panic. Once again, you can think on the truth of God. If all we do is check news websites all day, If all we're doing is checking Twitter and getting people's opinions and getting this, we're going to be nervous wrecks. But when you go into the truth of God, who He is, what He has said, what He has promised, what does it do? It calms you down. It lowers your blood pressure. Question 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? This is beautiful. God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. And so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That means this virus is under his control. Uh, All things are under his control. And then they give 10 verses, which again, you can look up. Question 28. What does it benefit us? to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by His providence? Here's the answer. We can be patient in adversity. Well, we're in adversity right now. Thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love. For all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. That's Acts 17. In Him we live and move and exist. Uh, He's our Father. He is our protector, and He is our provider. The providence of God is one of the great doctrines of Scripture. And this is what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 6. The problem is, is that when we get worried, in, in fact, in verse... 28, Jesus says this, And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, they're not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God, and watch the reasoning here, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow was thrown into the ferns, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? He's talking to people in the family. He doesn't say that they don't have faith. He just says they have little faith. May may I explain what little faith is? Little faith is a little knowledge about God and who He is. Little faith is little knowledge about the character of God. Little faith is little knowledge about the promises of God. The more I know from Scripture about God and His character and His promises, the more my faith is going to grow. Jesus goes on and says this, "Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or with what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. You do everything you can to protect and provide for your kids." You love him. He has an infinite love for us. And he and we, we have only so much control and only so much power. He is unlimited in his power. Jesus goes on and says this. Um, he says, but seek ye first. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he says, seek ye third, the kingdom of God. Seek ye fifth, the kingdom of God. No, he doesn't say that. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you there are benefits in this time in which we're in mary the other day was uh, sitting where she does her bible study and i walked by and she was writing on a legal pad and she said you know i've just been writing down some benefits of this time there's some real things to thank God for. And the first thing she said, she said, I'm very grateful to God that this virus does not attack children. And that's true. Those of us that are 60, 70, 80, we're high risk, but it doesn't go after little kids. That's a mercy from God because would that not be horrific if little children, if little grandchildren were suffering from this? Uh, She listed a whole bunch of others. One of the other benefits of this virus is is that God is getting our attention. And the attention not only of unbelievers, but the attention of Christians. Because I think the fact of the matter is this, it's some, uh, some in our churches, some in our Bible studies, they love the Lord, they love His Word, but, you know, it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift away from the Lord. And what happens, we find ourselves... Not seeking the Lord first, but seeking Him third, or eighth, or twelfth. When these things come into our lives, we're suddenly very aware of how much we need Him. And what do we do? We go back to seeking Him first. To one of the churches in Revelation, the Lord said, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Jesus has to be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What things? The things we're worried about shall be added unto you. Back in 1931, there was a missionary couple. I I wrote about them. I did a book recently called Manna. I tell their story. I, I, I heard this story many, many years ago. It's a powerful story guy and margaret laird were missionaries in what is now known as the central african republic the central african republic is a very poor nation i i looked it up this week and as of 2019 according to the human development index the central african republic is estimated to be The unhealthiest country as well as the worst country in the world in which to be young they rank 188th out of 189 countries is extremely poor Uh, they're impoverished you can imagine what it was like in 1931. well this missionary couple had served several years on that mission field in a very remote area while they were there they had a little girl born and as she developed and was growing as the months went by she began to develop intestinal issues and sadly she died well it was time for them to go home on furlough and when they were back in the states they met with their doctors and described what was going on with her and the doctors understood it had to do with her digestive system and they recommended uh, a diet of oatmeal and prunes if indeed they were to go back to the mission field and if indeed she were to get pregnant. And many of their friends were saying, don't go back, you can't go back. Well, the problem is they felt called by God to go back. So they bought a ample supply of oatmeal and prunes to take with them in case Margaret became pregnant again. Uh, she did become pregnant. But while she was waiting for the arrival of her child another missionary woman had had a baby and this baby began to develop the same symptoms margaret told her what the doctors had told to her she then gave the oatmeal and prunes to this mother and her child recovered completely Then Margaret gives birth and the months go by and now this little boy begins to develop the same symptoms. But the problem is she has given all the oatmeal and prunes to the other mother. One day the mother, that other mother comes by, she's going to a town 90 miles away to get some supplies. And Margaret said, could you see if they have oatmeal and prunes and this lady This Christian missionary lady got indignant with her and said, you know they're not going to have oatmeal and prunes. That's not going to be found out here. She said, you should have thought about this before you came back. And those words were so cutting because she did think about it and she actually gave it to her. And the woman took off. Margaret was so despondent. She went into... Their little bedroom in that little home in the middle of this little African bush and prayed to the Lord and poured out her heart and said, Lord, you know, I, I, you knew that I tried to do the right thing, I gave this. And she was just broken. She heard her husband calling her, Uh, she didn't want to come out. She was just pouring out her heart to the Lord because she did not want this child to die. She went out, gathered herself together, and there were a couple of men from a mine, miles and miles away, and they had had a young miner die of sunstroke, and they were talking with her husband about doing the funeral service, and he agreed, and they thanked him and gave their greetings to Margaret, and then they got in their truck, and they drove off, and then the truck stopped. And it just paused, and they're both looking at this truck, and then they put it in reverse, and they back up. And they pulled up, and they got out, and one of the miners said to Margaret, he said, Mrs. Laird, I know this seems somewhat strange, but every month we get supplies from Belgium, where we're from. They send us large crates with provisions, and for some reason, they send us a crate every month with three things in it. Cocoa, oatmeal, and prunes. And none of us eat this at all. I happen to have mine in the truck. Could I offer it to you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is the God we serve. This is the God who provides manna. Is anything too hard for the Lord, the scripture asks? And the answer is no. He's God Almighty, and He will make a way where there is no way. We thank you, Father, for the truth. We thank you that you watch over your word to perform it. And we hold up the promises to you, and we wait on your manna at the right time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.